Oh, Cheryl, we dated for a whole five years. We are the best relationship ever. Oh, that's what I believed. It'll chill one night. I woke up in the middle of the night for slash. And I realised you weren't beside me like you usually are. I wasn't worried, I thought you were making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in the kitchen. <laughs> so I went down to the kitchen, <laughs> but you weren't down there. I was so worried. I opened my front door and looked and saw my car wasn't in there. I ran back upstairs, ripped open the closet doors and saw all your clothes were stolen. Well, I thought they were stolen. I found out you took all your clothes. You also took my ten grand and my car keys to my two grand motor. And you fucked up without me. I was so heartbroken. I couldn't believe that you left me. I drowned my sorrow with a bottle of black currant and I wang to make myself feel better. But nothing can make me feel better. I now know how it was to be heartbroken. I did everything to track you down, but you you a ghost, and I can never find you. I had a private investigator, but I had nothing bad for two long years, but I never forgot about you. Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit. Bullshit is rampant. Total fucking bullshit. This bullshit makes no fucking sense. I mean, it's just bullshit. This is bullshit. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore. Oh my god! Oh. I love you. Oh. you. Oh. Come back to me. Oh. <laughs> the funniest Gold. thing I've ever seen, man. <laughs> It was either that or he was going to cut off his own dick. Uh, I think it chose wisely. Oh, you know, he had to get it out. I couldn't watch it to the end. So, you know, no, I don't know. Maybe I he did. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I broke down halfway through. Welcome back to Bullshit Phil of the News, episode 39 for this week of our Trump, uh, the 12th of Mar- uh, March, 2019. Now, Ray, before we get started, um, yes. just just a, just a producer note, uh, Tony Kynaston I was speaking to yesterday, we were recording our new podcast, uh, the QAV podcast about how to invest like a motherfucker. And uh, Tony made fun of both of us, but mostly you, for not knowing that the Buffalo Bills are based out of Buffalo, New York. He said the Miami Dolphins are based out of Miami. The Seattle Mariners are based out of Seattle, the Buffalo Bills are based out of? I said, what, a Buffalo's yeah. asshole? He said, no, <laughs> Buffalo, New York. I said, well, I, 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 don't, we, I don't fucking know there's a place called Buffalo, that. New York. I, 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 I have got no idea. I just assumed. Yeah. Right. Well, Tony, before you pat yourself on the back too much, uh, I knew that. I just, I guess I assumed, Cam, that you knew that. I don't know why. I apologize. But And so it was it was glossed over. And, uh, yeah, if that's your biggest uh, gripe about last week's show, then I think we're doing okay. 
Say, so, Tony, before you, you know, get too uppity, you're a ginge. You're a, you're a, yeah. You got gingivitis, yeah. Tony. Let's 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 be honest. We don't want to talk about it, but you're a ginge. Right. But it, it's there. It's there. <laughs> um, we got a big show to do today, Rain. But but before we get into that, um, how was Stormy Daniels? I know you went off this week secretly to visit Stormy and catch uh, a show. How did it go? We all um, want to know. I do I, you have I, to I write her? Do you have to write her? A large check to <laughs> shut her up like your president. Um, I am going to write her a large check. I certainly advised her not to cash it, but but you will not be surprised to learn that she was as professional as ever. She did her show. She didn't miss a beat. There was a bunch of she was smiling. Uh, no, she she, she she was on point. She did everything she needed to do. You know, to to and make a, what a about, lot of money. I guess. What about the donkey? Was it uh, in good form? <laughs> Well, the donkey, like the rest of us in the audience, was truly inspired by her professionalism. So, yes, the donkey brought its A-game as well. Now, listen, uh, disclaimer, there is a guy right beneath where I'm sitting um, replacing... No, go (laughs) Replacing... Right? Replacing the clutch in uh, our um, 17-year-old vehicle... Because right. the clutch is gone. So if there's a yeah. lot of background whirring and clanging and dinging going right. on there, that's it's a nearly 20-year-old car uh, being having major surgery because I can't afford to buy a new one. I understand. I <clears throat> um, but I'm with the news, uh, Ray. Got a lot of big stories to cover this yes. week. And... Um, I want to get started with an update on Venezuela. Now, uh, last week, I was thinking to myself uh, at one stage, haven't heard a lot about this uh, coup in Venezuela for a couple of weeks. Uh, it's a slow cooking coup. Yeah, I right. guess I guess it's going well for Donald Trump and Juan Guaido. Um, right. And then, well, a couple of things have happened, but... Um, before we get into the power outages, which I want to talk about, that right. hit the news. Something that broke late last night that I threw into our list. Now, people will recall that a few weeks ago we, we covered this story about quote-unquote humanitarian aid trucks right. that were stopped yeah. on the border weren't being allowed in, uh, apparently, by Nicolas Maduro, president of Venezuela. And there was a big outcry on behalf of American politicians and the American media, uh, as well as the Venezuelan opposition, about this. And we sort of talked about, you know, some of the valid reasons why you might not let trucks sent by your enemies across your border. Right. but uh, uh, after that, on February 23rd, something that we didn't cover is images were broadcast all over the world of these trucks carrying humanitarian aid burning on the border. Mm-hmm. They'd been set fire to. Right. And um, now the US media, US politicians all claimed that it was the Venezuelan military uh, under the control of Nicolas Maduro, who set fire to these trucks. Sure. Just as an right. act of fuck you to the, <laughs> their starving people. Look, we, we're we such complete and utter cunts that we're going to set fire right. to this food that you so desperately need. Uh, Marco, Marco Rubio, 
Florida based uh, congressman, senator, senator, senator. I believe so. Yeah. He yeah. tweeted, each of the trucks burned by Maduro carried 20 tons of food and medicine. This is a crime. Mm. And if international law means anything, he must pay a high price for this. He tweeted here, here, here. that on February 23rd. Right. Hashtag Fauda Humanitaria. Fauda Humanitaria. 23 Fauda Humanitaria. Um, right. Fauda, 23 uh, February in Spanish, maybe, I'm guessing. <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't Let's go. Know. Yep. Yeah, yeah. How's your Spanish? Uh, yeah, you got that right. I did? You don't fucking know. What's Fauda? Uh, I don't know, but I normally say, um, how much do I tip afterwards? Uh, can I get a dollar back? You know, important phrases like that. <laughs> right. And? And? Uh, where's the bathroom? <laughs> Fayuda, uh, according to Google Translate, uh, doesn't mean anything. Um, so there you go. Help! What is Google oh, Ayuda. Oh, 23F. Ayuda. 23F right. is uh, 23rd of February. Ayuda is help. Um, gotcha. so good work with your, the great uh, help from sp- the, Spanish from there, America. Ray fucking hell. Yeah. You don't know where Buffalo right. is and you don't know any Spanish. Uh, John Bolton. I'm not a ginger. I'm not a fucking ginger. I can well, tell you that. You're, you're a nothing cause you're bald. I'm a nothing, but I'd yeah. rather be a nothing than a ginger. Well, I'm yeah. finished now. Who wouldn't? Uh, John Bolton. <laughs> I've got a ginger wife and a ginger son and my other I son's know. a half ginger, but I don't like to talk about yeah. that. It's no. great embarrassment. It's embarrassing. John yeah. Bolton on the same day uh, masked tweeted, masked thugs, civilians killed by live rounds and the burning of trucks carrying badly needed food and medicine. This has been Maduro's response to peaceful efforts to help Venezuelans. Countries that still recognize Maduro should take note of what they are endorsing. Um, mm. CNN uh, was carrying the story saying that the government had set fire to the trucks. Uh, they said they, February, 29, uh, February 24th, CNN ran a story saying a CNN team saw incendiary devices from police on the Venezuelan side of the border ignite the trucks. That's right. They saw it. They synced it. Um, the Telegraph ran a story. Humanitarian aid destined for Venezuela was set on fire, seemingly by troops loyal to Mr. Maduro. So CNN says it was police. Mm. Telegraph says it was troops. Uh, BBC printed, there have also been reports of several aid trucks being burned, something Mr. Guaido said was a violation of the Geneva Convention. But uh, a couple of days ago, the New York Times published a video and an accompanying article proving that the whole story was a lie. The humanitarian trucks were not set on fire by Maduro's forces. They were set on fire by anti-Maduro protesters who threw a Molotov cocktail that hit one of the trucks. And the New York Times Mm. video sort of traces how the lie spread from... U.S. officials who basically just announced that it was Maduro who burned them uh, with no evidence to support that. Yeah, and then media outlets picked it up, repeated the lie mindlessly. Yeah. And so it spread with no one, not even the media, saying, well, you know, maybe before we report this, we should have some evidence to, to back that up. Right. Or at least say, according to U.S. officials, which has not been corroborated by CNN, Mm -hmm. and then go into it. But no, Mm. no, that's not what they did. The exact opposite of that. Yeah. 
Now, this is, uh, you know, I've I've said this so many times on our show and, and other shows over the last years. Yeah, this is the role when when it comes to foreign uh, policy in particular, and sometimes with domestic policy too, obviously. But largely, when it comes to foreign policy, this is the role of the U.S. media, and and it's the role of of the particularly the corporate media around the world. It doesn't matter what country you go to. Uh, corporate media in Western countries exists to further the interests of certain corporations inside of the country now it's not corporations don't always have the same interests uh they're not always completely aligned so you will get a bit of division you know microsoft's interests don't uh 100% overlap with apple's interests or or google's interests or facebook's interests you know corporations compete on different things um, they have slightly different agendas. But at the end of the day, in, in a Western country, big corporations uh, are usually owned or, or managed by very wealthy people. Very wealthy people's interests tend to be relatively well aligned. Yeah. Well, there's stuff. That was me. Sorry. Um, the egg, sorry. eggs I had this morning. Um, they, 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 you know, they want... Uh, relatively stable economy they want a, a, a growing economy um, they want a, a relatively stable political system that's pro-capitalism uh, they want pacified. law and order to stop the yeah the law and order to stop the people from rising up and taking their shit um, yeah. all these sorts of things and when it comes to foreign 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 uh, 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 politics foreign policy they they understand the game they understand that yeah. uh there's a lot of money to be made in them their hills and uh you know they tend to have very big investment portfolios in uh shares of companies that profit from such things uh and and also the media you know the media makes a lot of money out of uh talking about war and violence. It's mm-hmm. great clickbait yeah. stuff, right? Um, yeah. If you say, well, uh, nothing to see here. This is just a little bit of a domestic political situation. Who's going to read that newspaper? Who's going to watch that story? Boring. You know? Yeah. But uh, yeah. government sets fire to humanitarian aid trucks uh, oh, said by nice people to try and feed their starving citizens. Yeah, oh, the right. humanity. Yeah. Now, um, why? Now, you know that I'm not a huge fan of the New York Times. Um, right. We, we we talked a lot in our War on Drugs series about how the New York Times uh, willfully and and deliberately spread lies for decades, for nigh on a century, yeah. about uh, the evils of marijuana. Uh, either, a lot of money. either deliberately to push a certain agenda or at the very least with no attempt at fact-checking their stories um, right. because we know the facts were out there and readily available if they tried. Um, and then you know, I did three hours uh, dissecting the New York Times' obit on Fidel Castro line for line and pointing out the half-truths or blatant... Uh, misinformation or, or deliberate omissions uh, in their coverage of that. Um, 
so why they chose to uh, uh, expose this lie, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's uh, mm. maybe it's maybe it's a brand new day at the New York Times. I doubt it. Maybe they had a vested interest in exposing this. I don't know, but it wasn't right. really the New York Times that first exposed it. On February twenty fourth, the same day the lies were being spread around the United States, Max Blumenthal, uh, Max is a, a journalist who uh, covers a lot of uh, international. Uh, issues. Uh, he's an American author, journalist, and blogger. He was awarded the 2014 Lanand Foundation Cultural Freedom Notable Book Award for his book Goliath, mm. Life and Loathing in Greater Israel. He's wow. uh, been a writer for Alternet, The Daily Beast, Al-Akbar, Media Matters for America, and is a fellow of the Nation Institute. He's the author of three books, including Republican Gomorrah inside the movement that shattered the party, which was on the New York Times' uh, bestseller list. He, um, he, he wrote from Venezuela uh, on February 24th on the independent reporting site Grey Zone that the claim that the Maduro government had set fire to the trucks was absurd on its face, noting that he personally witnessed tear gas canisters hit every kind of vehicle imaginable in the occupied Palestinian West Bank, and I've never seen a fire like the one that erupted on the Santander Bridge. He Uh. said there was substantial evidence suggesting that the trucks were set ablaze by anti-Maduro protesters. He uh, linked a Bloomberg video showing the protesters throwing Molotov cocktails, expressed serious doubts about the mainstream narrative, but uh, New York Times didn't even give him credit for any of that. Uh, they took the credit for themselves. So, but the, you know, the, so it's important that yeah. you, <clears throat> yeah, it's important that we always maintain a very high level of skepticism when we see mainstream media outlets pushing these stories, particularly when we know that the U.S. media has lied about the reasons for getting involved in many, many wars uh, in the last, say, century. Uh, A little bit earlier, if you go back to the old Spanish-American War. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it it pays to have a healthy dose of scepticism when you see the same fucking narrative, you know, rolling out yet again. So now that this has been exposed, Ray, um, when should we expect to see U.S. officials uh, and media outlets publish retractions on their earlier claims? Oh, well, um, I wouldn't hold your breath. And and my only guess uh, as far as the hypothetical question that you were posing is that um, um, if the New York Times knows that someone else is telling the truth, it's only a matter of time before it gets out there because of social media. So I'm guessing they just wanted to look good by breaking, quote unquote, breaking the story that a bunch of smaller um, news agencies were were putting out there. So I think they were just trying to scoop everybody else, knowing that it's going to come out. Um, Obviously, the the, uh, Trump officials aren't going to say anything. However, the Canadians, the Canadians, to their great credit, did publish a long apology saying that they had fallen for this propaganda, publishing the photo on the bridge, um, that they didn't try to confirm it, that they just went, went with the story because everybody else was. So at least the Canadians had the guts to um, to apologize and admit their mistake. The U.S. officials will not. But I, even if they did, and we, we know that they're not going to, it, it's like you said before, when you when you admit a mistake but you bury it on page 13 at the bottom of a page or whatever, um, the momentum or the story is out there 
most people aren't going to look for a follow-up story. They don't care. So as far as they're concerned, this happened. This is real. And the people of Venezuela deserve better leadership than they're getting from Maduro. Yeah. Um, yeah it's going to stick. It's going to stick. Yeah. Remember yeah. the remember the bridge story that uh, mm-hmm. we also talked about, how they were like, oh, he's blocked off the bridge to stop the trucks getting in. Right. And then, you know, we said, ah, actually, there's evidence that the bridge had been blocked <laughs> off for like a year before the trucks <laughs> even came. It's just... Yeah. So it's just like one set of lies after another set of lies. And here's the thing. When when you see um, U.S. officials and U.S. mainstream media publishing lie after lie after lie, you, you have to basically expect that everything that they're saying is probably a lie regarding this particular issue, right? Right. I think it, it, it's it's reasonable to just assume that everything is a lie or twisted. Um, and then you have to start to question, well, why are they doing it? Why right. are they deliberately pushing lies? Uh, I mean, the U.S. officials, okay, well, why are they deliberately pushing lies? What's their agenda here? Obviously, because they want to get rid of Maduro. Now, uh, and, you know, you can say, well, maybe that's for genuine bleeding heart humanitarian reasons. Uh, or maybe it's because they've got the biggest oil reserves on the planet. Um, <laughs> it's one, maybe one of those. Um, I'm not exactly sure yeah. which. Uh, <laughs> right. 50-50. It's a 50-50 toss-up. And, okay, so that's why the the U.S. government might be pushing this, because they mm-hmm. have friends that have interests in uh, getting control of that oil. Then right. you might also... But then you have to ask, well, why would the media not do their job and fact-check these stories before they publish them? Or at least if, as is the case with war zones, it's difficult to fact-check, at least be very clear about the fact that this story has not been fact-checked, and that the government probably has vested interests in pushing a biased narrative. Right. Why isn't Just put it out there. the media yeah. doing that? Saying, listen, before you believe this, ladies and gentlemen, readers, dear, what, dear viewers, keep in mind that... Exactly. You know what I'm saying? They don't do that. Yeah, so absolutely. The, so no. the fact Preface that, everything. Exactly. So the fact that yeah. they do none of these things is an indication that they're in on it. They're in yeah. on the scam. Now, why do they believe that they can fool the American public yet again with another fake war narrative? It's Ooh. because... Yeah, right. Because uh, the, they've been the, doing it. The little chubby boy, yeah. ball boy up at the back. Right. Yes. Ouch. Ouch. Because uh, they've been doing it for at least 130 years? Yeah. Okay. Be- yes. Because Americans yeah, but- are dumb, right? They're dumb. <laughs> We're conditioned. Yes. We're lazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it's just Americans. I think it's this is true. No. Uh, you know, they, they deliberately keep us uh, distracted with reality TV and celebrity uh, divorce gossip. They, right. they keep us tired, they keep us drunk, they keep us, you know, watching uh, sport. Um, they keep us tired mm-hmm. and distracted and broke and busy so we don't have the attention span to go, Did I, didn't you lie to us? Didn't you tell us once that Saddam Hussein's soldiers were throwing babies out of humidity cribs and that turned yeah. out to be a lie? 
Uh, didn't you tell us that Saddam had weapons of mass destruction and that turned out to be a lie? <laughs> you know, just it, yeah. lie after lie after lie. We, I don't know, people people forget. Right. They go, well, and, yes, and, that was a lie. Sure. Yeah. Ten years this, ago, that was a lie. But they right. don't. They get, like somebody said to me on Facebook, one American uh, reader said, oh, but the media's getting better. They don't lie oh, anymore. Yeah. They're good guys now. Uh, well, one of the favorite part, uh, we, when we did, what, at least three episodes on the New York Times uh, obit of Castro, there was one part in that article where they, where they actually acknowledged that New York Times articles in the past, like when Castro first came to power, were lying about some. So, Because you made a joke. I just remember you making a joke about the New York Times bravely calling itself out you know after like four decades of a lie so if we have to wait 40 years for every lie for for someone to uh, to either acknowledge or apologize for a lie you know it, it it's it's meaningless but yeah it's just not going to happen and they're just hoping that like you said we keep our head down we believe them and we go on with our very busy full lives hey listen to this <clears throat> oh hold on you won't be able to hear this hold on oh where's my here we go da 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 Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Listen to this. It sounds like a guitar masturbating, but in a good way. Yeah, that is uh, yeah. Our, our number one fan, Scott Burbick, Testicular Fortitude, wow. Scott. Yeah. Uh, he sent me some of his uh, solo guitar tracks last night. I was like, holy fucking shit, you can play nice. guitar. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'd say check those out, but uh, I don't think they're available anywhere. But uh, Scott will let us know. He does have oh. a YouTube channel. It's about nine years old where he plays some of this shit. But yeah, man, Scotty. Scotty B can yeah. play guitar like a mofo. I like women. He's not as good as yeah. me, of course. No, uh, no. Not as good as me, but uh, you know, nobody knows more about playing guitar than I do. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, moving on to, uh, yeah. can, well, not moving on, really, continuing to talk about Venezuela. So uh, the big news in the last couple of days is uh, this power outage. Uh, right. A large part of Venezuela has been under a power outage for a few days. Now, power went out at peak hour. Uh, people were trying to get home and oh. massive blackout. The lights went, you know, the, the, the traffic lights went out. Power went out across the country. Power grid collapsed around like 80% of the country. Um, now, this is being portrayed in the US media as just another example of the incompetence of yeah. the Maduro government. Maduro is saying that their power grid was hacked by terrorists, probably sponsored by the United States. 
Right. The United States are going, ah, it's nonsense. We would it's never. Crazy. We would never. What are you? you? You're on drugs. We would never do. How would you even do that? We. I, I don't even know how to program yeah. my VCR, let alone the hack C- your power grid. Right. The CIA doesn't know how to do that. I, I'm not saying they did it, but I'm saying I'm, I'm sure they don't even know how to do it. Yeah, that's crazy talk. Crazy talk. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, some of us uh, pay attention to these things. Now, um, we do know that power grids uh, can be hacked. Famously, mm-hmm. in December 2015, the Ukraine power grid was shut down and attacked. The Russians were blamed for that. They denied it. The US said right. that they did it, though. Um, the Ukrainians said that the uh, IP addresses where the attack was generated were in the Russian Federation. Now, mm-hmm. if Russia can hack a power grid, do you think maybe the United States can hack a power grid? Do you think I, maybe Israel can hack a power grid? Right. I don't want to brag, but I think America wrote the book on how to hack a power. I'm just saying we, we do a lot of things over the decades, the CIA, special forces, whatever, middlemen. But uh, I, I think we wrote the book, and uh, yeah, I think we could handle that if we were <clears throat> ordered to do so. Well, uh, not uh, it's not really theoretical because the U.S. has done it. Uh, in 2009... <laughs> right. Uh, several nuclear centrifuges in Iran... Uh, blew themselves up. They silently accelerated until they destroyed themselves. Oh, God. Now, this... Uh, nobody nobody uh, took responsibility for it. The Iranians blamed the Americans. The Americans said, what? No. Us? Really? A no. You're crazy. No, no, we, no. Yeah. we would never do anything like that. Um, unfortunately... Edward Snowden then um, turned whistleblower and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, the NSA did that. Um, now, oh. the NSA developed a piece of malware known as Stuxnet, S-T-U-X, Stuxnet, that they uh, designed to attack SCADA systems, SCADA, Supervisory Control and Data Acquisition uh, anyone who's ever worked in manufacturing on the IT side will be familiar with SCADA. It's quite an old system. It's a control system architecture. Basically, you know, is, is how you program and run factories and, and plants that deal with heavy-duty equipment. You know, it runs all of the robots and automated systems and all of that kind of stuff. Right. I don't want to get into it. Nobody knows more about SCADA control system architecture you, than me, Ray, but uh, I don't have time. You don't have time. Don't have time, time to get in right yeah. now. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, right. according, according to Edward Snowden, Stuxnet was uh, sort of developed by the Americans and the Israelis as a cyber weapon to hack these sorts of systems. Now, power grids also run on SCADA. Now, um, there were videos of an explosion at an electric substation in Venezuela um, shortly after the latest disruption, uh, which was supposedly the cause of the new outage, uh, which was possibly caused by somebody hacking the system. I mean, it could be just right. could be mismanagement uh, of the whole place. Like they have yeah. been in an economic crisis for the last couple of years. And they have had power shortages. Well, yes, they have had power shortages um, over the last year or so, but nothing like this. 
Now, right. uh, of course, I'm asking who benefits uh, from major power outages, and the, the, the honest truth is both sides could possibly benefit from this. Um, the the US and uh, their puppet uh, interim president Juan Guaido uh, benefit by being able to create more chaos in the country and and point the finger of blame at Maduro's regime. The flip side is, is. some people are suggesting that the Maduro administration could uh, be responsible from this because there, there, there were like several big protest marches planned for the day this happened um, or the day after this happened that it you know, ah. could be used to disrupt protests maybe under the cover of darkness you can sneak in and take out members of the opposition although on one hand they say well he's got you know secret forces going out and taking out his opposition anyway because he's a brutal dictator, so why you'd then want to say he's doing it under the cover of darkness doesn't make yeah. a lot of sense. Um, yeah, but you know, I, I can see I can see benefits on both sides for this. I can also see downsides for both sides on this. So it's hard to know. Well, I just wonder that Guaido, who supposedly cares more about his people than Maduro, would would I wonder why he wouldn't say something like, "Okay, yeah, we need to." Um, Yes, we're, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to not overthrow the government, but we're trying to have a change in leadership here. But right now we need to put that aside. If 60, 70 or 80 percent of our country is without power, this is a very serious thing. We need to organize. We need to check in on the older people, the children. Let's make sure every, everybody's OK. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying instead is, <clears throat> excuse me, what he's saying instead is um, um, constitutional options to promote regime change would only work if the opposition continues to protest regularly and he calls on citizens to travel to caracas to protest so he's like taking this in stride and and i guess maybe the people are too they're doing the best they can but um i don't know i i just would think that maybe he would choose that uh, choose to help the people focus on this later but no he's like keep the pressure go to caracas pressure this guy let's see if we can get get him out of there i just find that a little bit suspect i don't know i mean i'm sure he is saying i mean Help yeah. help the people as well. But his I mean, priority should be, yeah. I mean, but, yeah. Mm. That's just the the one line that the media is covering. I don't know. Maybe he's saying the other stuff. Ah, uh, sure. Okay. But um, I mean, I'm not using this to cast aspersions on Juan Guaido. I'm just looking at yeah. um, what what, are, what is the likelihood that the U.S. and all their allies, like Israel, uh, have um, had some responsibility in taking down the power grid now. Uh, the U.S., of course, as I said earlier, is denying it, as they denied the Iranian uh, nuclear centrifuge destruction, and as they denied ca causing the Syrian internet blackout in 2012. 2012, wow. Syria's internet went down. Uh, you know, the U.S. media, U.S. government said, see, Bashar al-Assad is trying to right. stop the people from being able to talk to the world and talk to each other on the internet because he's a brutal dictator. He's taken down the internet. Uh, Bashar al-Assad blamed the outage on terrorists and suggested there might be a U.S. connection. The U.S. said, what? You're crazy. We don't we're do stuff terrorists. like that. We never, we're not right. cyber terrorists. Uh, unfortunately, Edward Snowden again then came out a couple of years ago and said, oh, yeah, 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 the NSA did do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, my God. In an interview with Wired magazine, Snowden explained what happened. He said it was actually accidental. Um, the, 
uh, an elite NSA hacking unit called the Tailored Access Operations Unit, TAO, DAO, the Daoists, um, (laughs) were trying to infiltrate Syria's internet backbone. Um, they were going. They were trying to get into one of the main routers in Syria's state internet provider to upload an exploit, uh, or no, they were trying to, I guess, upload some malware by using an exploit in the hardware, right? Uh, which would enable them, the Americans, to gain sort of access to be able to to read, monitor all of the internet usage and communications going on in Syria over their internet wow. backbone, which is, you know, basically what they've already done in America. They're like, well, if it's good enough for here in America where we can monitor everybody, well, why, yeah. why not Syria? Unfortunately, in the process of doing that, they uh, bricked the router <laughs> that they were trying to hack and killed it. And so they were like, oh, shit. Mm. And no, nothing to see here. Move along, move along. Right. And you can't say, look, I was interfering and I was hacking, but I didn't mean to do that. My bad. Yeah. yeah. I'm really sorry. You, we'll, you can't do that. We'll pay for a new one. Um, right. <laughs> I'm UPS and a router over right now. Very sorry. Now, you may or you may not believe Edward Snowden when he says the NSA was involved in both of these, but uh, I don't see any reason not to believe Edward Snowden. I mean, he's basically yeah. uh, you know, put his life on the line over the last five years uh, outing uh, the, the NSA for this kind of stuff. That's basically his raison d'etre. Uh, he has no reason to lie about it. His life's already fucked. I think he's just... You know, wow. exposing this kind yeah. of stuff. Now, uh, now taking out the power grid kind of reminds me of what Israel did to Egypt in 1967. Uh, for those of you who um, haven't read much about that war, there was a after the Six Day War in 1967. There was a, another war between Israel and Egypt, commonly referred to as the Israeli-Egyptian War of Attrition. When the Israeli Defense Forces uh, staged airborne attacks on power stations and other infrastructure in Egypt, the uh, most notorious of those attacks happened in October 1968 called Operation Shock when helicopters from Israel attacked and blew up a bridge, a dam and several power stations along the Nile. which sent Cairo into darkness and forced the Egyptian president at the time, uh, Gamal Abdel Nasser, to call off attacks on Israel's fortifications near the Suez Canal. So um, this is taking out the power grid as a classic way of of, uh, disabling your enemy. Right. Um, But these days you don't need to bomb the power stations if you can hack it. Um, harder to trace and who's going to believe you anyway if right you, if you say americans did it no one's going to believe you so um there you go now but as i said to be fair this could be mismanagement it could be just the sign of an economy in freefall people not turning up to work people not paying attention just not enough resources right. like the irony of the world's largest oil the country with the world's largest oil reserves not being able to maintain its power grid is uh, 
yeah. is is pretty harsh. People may find it yeah. funny, although obviously when power outages go out, people die. Um, yeah. You know, hospitals and, and uh, uh, I don't know, it just right across yeah. the board. We know it's, it's a tragedy. Refrigeration, businesses can't keep products. Cool. I, I read stories of people that own uh, stores that have no power giving away products because they're not going to be able to... Right. Uh, keep them refrigerated and just hoping that people will come back and, and pay for them later on, um, do the right thing. It's complete fucking chaos. As if yeah. it wasn't bad enough with their million percent inflation. Um, but I want to point out that on August 14th, 2003, just mm-hmm. after 4 p.m. in the afternoon, uh, the power grid went down in uh, large parts of the United States. Northeastern and Midwestern United States in the Canadian province of Ontario. Uh, And a lot of people didn't get their power back for days or weeks. If you remember back 2003, um, everyone thought it was, they'd been hacked at the time. Oh my God, the terrorists have taken out the power because it was 2003. Um, As it turns out, it was a software bug in the alarm system of the control room. Uh, 10 million people in Ontario and 45 million people in eight American states lost power for days or weeks. But uh, no one blamed it on socialism, Uh, funnily enough. No one blamed George Bush at the time. They would Um, today. Right. Yeah. But, of course, when it happens in Venezuela, the media narrative is, oh, look, there you go. That's socialism for you. They can't even keep their power grid up. Happens right. in America, and it's like, well, it's a software bug. What are you going to do? You know, no one, no, one's, no one's to blame. Maybe the IT company, IT guys. Right. Again, just, <laughs> just the, don't care. Just the difference in yeah. the narratives, right? Right. I have a rhetorical question for you. Yes, right. So is 70% of your country not having power, is, does that constitute... A national emergency? Because to me, it sounds like more of an emergency than, say, oh, I don't know, uh, illegals coming across the southern border. You know, one man's national emergency is another man's political stunt. Not national, just, I mean, it's fairly localized. It's Which only, one? Well, the eight states are going losing power. It's not national. No, it's only those eight states. I'm talking about... I'm, no, I'm talking about Venezuela today versus Trump's oh, national emergency. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. making that comparison. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'd say Venezuela's got several national emergencies going on, but I don't think America's helping with its with its stuff. New. It's not in our interest to help right now. Can we keep talking about Israel, Ray? Yeah, Israel away. Did you see this UN Human Rights Commission report that came out this week? Yes. Um, oh, my God. Because you and I were talking about when we were watching it on the news. And, and as bad as it was when this report, or the first part of this report came out, because the full report report comes out on March 18th, I believe. Right. Tell, I tell, truly tell, 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 tell people what news. You said we were watching the news. You haven't told them what we were watching on the news. Oh, yeah. So when um, – let's see here. So, yeah, the United Nations um, report has come out. About what, says right? that is- About what? Focus about what? Yeah, yeah, get to it. I'm really trying to get to it right Uh, now, my fucking guy. Okay. Okay. So this report says, 
Right. This report says that it has found that Israeli security forces may have committed war crimes and crimes against humanity by targeting unarmed children, journalists, and dis- and the disabled in the Gaza Strip during the weekly march, the during the weekly Great March of Return. The demonstrators. This was almost a year ago. Uh, launched by the Palestinians in Gaza, and so so we were we were seeing you know footage of people being taken away on stretchers and people were shot and, and injured in other ways. But they found a decent not well I shouldn't say that they found numbers of children, disabled, and I believe reporters shot and killed with live ammo by supposedly by Israeli security forces. Mm. How many people? Uh, let's see here, 183 Palestinians. And this part I just found interesting, just to push it, they they were saying most of them were killed with live ammunition. I guess they were trying to make the point that they weren't just simply running away, fell down, hit their head on a rock, and sadly died. They were actually shot to death. 35 children, 20, 23,000 people were actually injured during this, and I think 6,000 of them were actually shot by live ammunition. So as opposed was, to uh, as opposed to rubber bullets, right, right. Like you would normally deal uh, with, like, crowd uh, control. Yeah, protests going out of control. Let's say, let's if you want to say that this was what was happening on the border um, with rubber bullets, tear gas, water cannons, those sorts of things. Where they were being shot by like six thousand people, shot by live Jeez. ammunition by the IDF, and twenty uh, percent of those killed were children. Yeah. Um, Santiago Canton, one of the people who was um, issuing this report, said that the commission has found reasonable grounds to believe that Israeli security forces committed serious violations of human rights and international humanitarian law. These violations clearly warrant criminal investigation and prosecution. Now, you and I both know that um, they can they can make this report, they can type it up, they can submit it, they can be interviewed, they can spread it all over the world. But you and I both know that nothing is going to happen to Israel if the United States, as far as punishment, if the United States doesn't want it to. But fortunately, uh, President Trump and U.S. Congress have both demanded that Israel's mm-hmm. government stand trial for these crimes in the International Criminal Court. Wow. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. Oh, no, that's never going to happen. What? No. Netanyahu might be in jail already. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, now the United Nations Human Rights Commission said that Israeli soldiers intentionally shot children, intentionally shot people with disabilities, and intentionally shot journalists who were all marked with press vests. Yeah. So they can't say, oh, we accidentally shot the journalist. Mm, no, no, mm, they were wearing yeah. a big press vest and you shot them anyway. Um, now, the UN report does call on nations to arrest, quote, persons alleged to have committed or ordered to have committed the international crimes, mm-hmm. unquote, or to seek their extradition. The UN wow. also demanded Israel immediately lift the blockade on Gaza. Um, yeah. Now, of course, Israel's acting foreign minister dismissed the report as a theater of the absurd, 
And Israel's Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, was too busy smoking cigars given to him by Australian billionaire James Packer <laughs> Expensive. to really Expensive comment cigar. on it. Of course, Israel's government has said that they uh, cooperated fully with the United Nations investigation because they have nothing to hide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm only joking again. No, they they denied the United Nations right. access to Gaza and to Israel uh, and didn't want them to compile this report at all. Um, yeah. the, the UN uh, was able to interview witnesses and many of the victims who survived, uh, but they had to do it coming in, uh, I guess, remotely in a lot of cases. Um, they had to interview right. them over Skype or something like that. Now, uh, these demonstrations are continuing. The report only covers the 30th of March to the 31st of December 2018, the, the the protests are still going on. More killings and injuries have been reported since the beginning of this year. Now, for people that aren't aware, let me just remind you that Gaza is the home of two million people, half of which mm-hmm. are children. They're living in a coastal strip 42 kilometers long with a population density that is one of the highest in the world. And about 75% of people living in the Gaza Strip are registered as refugees. They're living in or outside one of eight cramped cinder block refugee camps in Gaza. And these are are mostly the descendants of 750,000 Palestinians who fled or were expelled from their previous homes during the 1948 conflict in what is today part of Israel. So that's the situation in Gaza. Now, there's also been this um, outcry in the last week over supposed anti-Semitism or anti-Zionism uh, stemming partly from comments that your congresswoman Ilan Omar made about mm-hmm. uh, Israeli lobbying group APAC and how American politicians just uh, bow down before Israel and won't criticize Israel. And she came out and said, this isn't healthy for anybody. Um, right. and, and really, it's all about the Benjamins, she said. It's all about money. And even her own party, the Democrats have censored her and gone gone nuts over this because we know the Democrats, like the Republicans, are mostly uh, hear no evil, see no evil when it comes to Israel. Right. Now, cannot, yeah, yeah. What? Sorry. No, I just said yeah. They you, you literally cannot chide them, accuse them of anything, blame them, find fault with them because if you do, you are anti-Semitic. And you are against our great ally in the Middle East. I mean, there, there's I, there's no room there's no room for any kind of criticism, and and just Israeli the Israeli government or whatever has just done a brilliant job of tying anti-Zionism with anti being anti-Semitic. It's just a brilliant stunt on their part. Exactly. Now that's not to say that anti-Semitism isn't a problem. Obviously, it's been a problem for a long time, and it's still a problem. There are still people yeah. that have wacky ideas about the Jews and conspiracies and all of that kind of stuff. But there's a big difference 
between criticising Israel and its policies and being anti-Semitic. Now, the usual argument I get, because I've been having these conversations, as you know, for decades, um, we've had listeners... Mm -hmm. Uh, particularly Israeli listeners that have uh, uh, lost their shit at me on emails Correct. over the years because I criticise right. Israel, and as far as they're concerned, that's verboten. Um, you're not mm -hmm. allowed to criticise Israel. If you criticise Israel, you're anti-Semitic, uh, which, right. which, which, I, which I disagree with. Now, the, one of the first arguments that I get usually when opposing uh, Israel, and and. Zionism as an idea, Zionism being a land of the Jews and for the Jews. Um, mm. One of the first arguments that you get is that we are trying to deny to the Jews what every other people enjoys, a state of its own. Ah, oh, okay. Every, every, every people have a state of their own. Why shouldn't the Jews have one? But you know who else, who do, you know who else doesn't have a state of their own? Ray, tell me uh, the Australian Aboriginals, um, mm. the Native Americans, uh, the Scottish, the Kurds, the Tibetans, the Basques, the Catalonians. Um, I could go on. So the Jews aren't the only ones that are threatened, supposedly, with losing their land. Well, or that they, was the big sin for the long time. That they had, they didn't have their own state. Well, yeah, well, they, they do. They have had it now for nine yeah. or 70 years. A lot of other peoples don't. Right. Ethnic minorities uh, and religious minorities don't have lands of their own. So the Jews aren't the only ones in the world yeah. Yeah, that, that um, did not have a land of their own for a long time. Now, they did have the Holocaust, and that was obviously a terrible thing. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I've said before that I think they should have been given a big chunk of Germany um, yeah. as, as uh, compensation for the Holocaust. And a lot of them were living in that part of Europe anyway. Right. At the time, so yeah. it would have made a lot of sense. Well, let me ask you real quick. I know we're, we're running low on time, but knowing now what we know about Truman, and he did make statements that I, I quoted from a long time ago about blacks and about Jews, I have a hard time picturing him sponsoring a bill saying, this little tiny part of Germany now is a Jewish state. I just really can't see that happening. And maybe they didn't want it. I have no idea. But I just have a hard time seeing Truman sponsoring something like that. Well, he did uh, eventually. He was he was not for it initially from memory. Right. Um, he thought it was a bad idea, but eventually he had his arm twisted. And from memory, I think it had more to do with uh, the United States having a military base in the Middle East. Um, oh. You know, a, a, a military partner in the Middle East, um, and yeah. one of these days we will get around to doing our history of Israel series. Mm -hmm. But um, let me ask you this, Ray: if, if you said yeah. it didn't make sense for Native Americans to have their own country within the United States, big chunk. Let's right. say we wanted to carve out ninety percent of uh, the United States and say, well, this is now a land just for the Native Americans to occupy, only a state of Native Americans for Native Americans. Uh, You're giving them 90% of the country? Yeah. 
sure. fucking crazy. So does that make you anti-Native American, Ray? Are you a bigot? Uh, I know that you're one um, thirty-second uh, Native American. <laughs> the rest of me would be would be cataloged as anti-Native American. Yes, it's like so. Basically, what you're saying is they don't have any rights; they don't deserve it. So, yeah, I would be anti-Native American. Are you saying if I if I did propose that they be given land? No. If you said, look, I don't think it makes sense for the Native Americans to be given 90% of yeah, the country yeah. to have as their own state, would that make you anti-Native American? I don't think it would. I, I think no. you... I think it, it, would... it might be, but it's, but it's not automatic. Right. <clears throat> right. Now... The other argument that you often get uh, regarding Israel is that, well, okay, maybe, maybe they shouldn't have been given Palestine uh, to begin with. But uh, once it exists, well, there's nothing you can do about it. Once yeah. a once a state is there, right? it's, it's just there. Oh, it, it's, that's it. It's, Done. It's bigoted to suggest it change its ways, um, <laughs> or that a state based on ethnic nationalism should be changed into one based on civic nationalism where no particular ethnic group gets special privileges. And if you don't think Israel is uh, a state based on ethnic nationalism, then you should take that up with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu because he declared on Twitter over the weekend that uh, Israel is not a state of all its citizens, according to the basic nationality law we passed, Israel is the nation state of the Jewish people and only it. That's technically right, but if any other country says that, I just would imagine the the screams of protests would be quite loud, but they can say it because of the Holocaust? Yeah, well, Netanyahu said this um, uh, after Israel banned an alliance of Israeli Arab parties from fielding candidates for the upcoming Israeli elections happening in a a few weeks. Uh, And a a well-known model whose name is Rotem Sela, Uh, She wrote on Instagram, when the hell will someone in this government tell the public that Israel is a country of all its citizens? And Mm. he came back and said, well, it's not a country of all its citizens. It's for Jewish people only. Now, technically, hmm. that's correct. According to the Constitution or to the law that they passed, technically that's true. But that doesn't mean it's not inhumane. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, Israel contains almost 9 million citizens, and then it also has, Mm -hmm. uh, well, about 2 million of those uh, so-called Arab Israelis are actually Palestinian. They live in a state that privileges Jews. Uh, They have to endure an immigration policy that allows any Jew in the world to gain instant Israeli citizenship, yet makes Palestinian immigration to Israel Virtually impossible. Uh, They live in a state where the national anthem speaks about the Jewish soul. The flag features the Star of David, which by tradition excludes Israel's Palestinian parties from its governing coalitions. Um, And there are other restrictions placed on uh, Arab Israelis, Palestinians inside of Israel. But of course, Israel also contains another 5 million non 
citizens, the Palestinians who live in the West Bank and Gaza, which are both under Israeli control, and they live in a state with basically they don't have any basic rights. They live in a, it's basically a huge concentration camp where where their access to humanitarian aid and food and other goods and services are directly limited by the Israeli military. Um, now, getting back to this idea that once a nation exists, then you have you can't mm-hmm. you know you can't talk about it, you can't criticize it. We didn't take that view with apartheid South Africa. It was set up for similar reasons. Uh, for as as Israel was okay, there wasn't really a, a, um, a holocaust as such, but it was it was set up for a particular ethnic minority to have its own land with its own laws and and it and it uh, uh, passed laws that that uh, protected and prioritized mm-hmm. the rights of a certain ethnic class of people. And, of course, uh, you know, they weren't very happy either when they were criticised internationally. They called it bigotry for for many, many decades. They said right. criticism of apartheid South Africa was bigotry. Uh, people said, no, you're the bigots. They go, no. You're, you're, people say, Look, you're the bigots. Look at the way you treat, <laughs> treat your, your black population. They're like, no, you're the bigots for calling us bigots. It was uh, right. bigot bingo, as I like to call it. <laughs> Um, but of course, you know, international pressure ramped up on apartheid South Africa um, over the 80s and into the 90s, mm-hmm. and they, they finally gave in um, as a result yeah. of international pressure. But that's not happening with Israel, and anyone who suggests it should happen to Israel is automatically classified as a bigot. Anti-Semitic. Right. Now, um, Israeli journalist Gideon Levy is actually a supporter of Ilan Omar's critique of Israel. He's a Haaretz columnist, the big newspaper over there, Haaretz. He's also a member of the newspaper's editorial board, so he's no Joe Schmo. He said recently in an interview that he thinks the U.S.-Israel relationship is corrupt and bad for peace and bad for Israel in the long run because the United States just lets Israel's right go crazy, continue the occupation, do whatever it wants, and it gets automatic and blind support from the United States to do that. So if Israeli Jews can criticize their own country and its relationship with the U.S., I think it's fine and dandy for people on the outside of Israel to do it as well. And let me let, let me explain what I think the difference is between criticizing Israel for mm-hmm. its policies regarding the West Bank and Gaza and anti-Semitism. The former okay. is saying, I think a country should change its policies. The other is saying Jews are all evil and corrupt and secretly run the world. They're very different, <laughs> very different things, Ray. Yes, yes, unless you're Netanyahu, but they're, yes. They're very different things. So, um, yes, like, uh, this isn't going to go away. And I get the same thing. It, it's it's the same argument that um, if, if I ever criticize uh, Mormons and the Mormon religion, uh, uh, mm-hmm. Mormons will tell me that they're offended and that I'm... Uh, 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 they're offended that I'm criticizing their religion. And that faith should right. be 
uh, out of bounds. You, you shouldn't be able to criticize people's right. faith because it's offensive. Now, I disagree. I, I, I disagree. Look, if you, I'm going to criticize your faith. If you choose to be offended about that, I'm sorry uh, if you but find you- that offensive. But uh, ideas are open to criticism. And the idea of how Israel treats its uh, non-citizens in, in its concentration camp is something that can be talked about freely and criticized. Doesn't make one a bigot or an anti-Semite. Now, if we want to have a conversation about whether or not Israel should have been created in the first place and, and, and the rights and then who started the wars and the, the right. legal and moral justification for the occupation of West Bank and Gaza and all this kind of stuff. It's a whole other conversation that is yeah. obviously very, very long, and we will get into that when we do our History on Israel series. Um, so, hmm. yep. Hmm. Hmm. No, I, I'm not trying to rush you, but I just, I because I, the last part of this subject that I, and I'm going to be totally honest, I, um, I really, you know, I don't spend that much time to know the nuances of the Israeli question, but going back to the Mormons for a second, why would the Mormon say to you, what's one reason the Mormon would say to you, you don't have the right to question my my views, my religion, and that's a reason, what's one possible reason, people like Nahu to say, to question any of the Israelis, uh, Israel's policies is tantamount to being anti-Semitic. Well, they're not just doing it because they feel that they're right. They're not just doing it because they're taking care of their people. There are specific reasons why they're presenting that argument. Oh, yeah. Barry and Stan came up with this uh, policy many, many decades ago, right? It's... <laughs> it's Right. You I know, I apologize. You, you, you forestall criticism by trying to prevent any discussion of this by just automatically, right. you know, pulling out the uh, bigoted uh, or offended card. Uh, right. Uh, you you play that card, and people are like, oh, oh, I'm, oh, I guess Ooh, I better not talk sorry. about it then. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But 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 my thing is. Um, uh, to, to be more specific, I know we're running out of time, but, nah, but people not. like Netanyahu are, we can keep are trying to shut it. We can keep going. Okay. They're specifically using that type of an argument to shut it down because they have, obviously, a political agenda that's couched under, underneath, that's hidden underneath their almost moral argument by, by them calling you out for being anti-Semitic. It's because they're trying to have their way in the Middle East with the, with the, with Gaza and the West bank. Yeah. That I don't think I truly appreciated before. Well, right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. They, they don't want to have to face international, uh, criticism. Like uh, the United Nations has passed hundreds of resolutions since 1967 demanding that Israel return to its pre-1967 border, what's known as the Green Line. Uh, I'm, not even, I'm not even exaggerating. Hundreds. The last time I looked, it was like 200 resolutions the United Nations General Assembly has passed uh, demanding that Israel go back to its uh, earlier borders. And Israel just tells them to go fuck themselves. And can't do any. The Security Council can't do anything about it because the U.S. uses its veto 
to prevent anything from happening. And then the the, the then the United States and Israel turn around and say, well, the United Nations is uh, bigoted because it's made up of all of these Arab countries, and these Arab countries hate oh. Israel. And the United Nations Human Rights Commission is run by a Syrian. Like, you, you've got a Syrian as the president. Obviously, the whole place is corrupt. The whole place is anti-Semitic. Um, and yeah. then they have that whole argument, which is nonsense. But we don't have time to get into that. Right. But yes, it's, it's right. a deliberate tactic. And it's a powerful tactic because of the Holocaust. You know, anti-Semitism yeah. has been around for thousands of years. And in some cases, for good reason. I'm going to put that out there. <laughs> I mean, as I've said on our Renaissance show a lot, um, you know... The Jews uh, from very, very early on, uh, particularly since the post-Babylonian exile, um, the the sort of um, Second Temple period, um, the right. Jews uh, have always had this sense of exceptionalism that the Christians inherited from them because they're basically just fringe Jews. It's this idea right. that we are right and the rest of you are all wrong and you're, you can all go get fucked, Right. Um, right. yeah. in, in ancient Rome, uh, in ancient Greece, you, you had this polytheistic uh, society where all religions were tolerated. You know, lots and lots of gods, lots of different yeah. forms of worship. Live Every, and let live. It was all right. good. Yeah, all, the, more, the more gods, right. the merrier. And it's like, yeah, you, uh, <laughs> who, who do you pray to? Oh, that's great. Yeah, I pray to him sometimes too. The Jews came along. And went, no, nah, fuck you. It's one God, one God only. And if you don't pray to our God, then you can right. all go to hell and get fucked. Actually, they didn't really have a concept of hell, the Jews, really. But it was just our God. Right. It's our way or the highway. Don't you dare, you know. And they were they they um, married inside of their own religion. They, they, you know, they kept to themselves. They told everyone else to get fucked. Now, the Romans, as we know, thought that was weird. Um tended not to get involved. I mean, they, they after they started to pay a lot more attention, the Romans, that is, to that part of the world, Syria, uh, right. uh, Judea, um, they let them do their own thing. Julius Caesar gave them a bit of a nod. You know, Pompey w went in there and trashed their temple at one point. Julius Caesar said, well, you sided with me in the Civil War, so you're, all, you're okay in my book. He gave them a bit of yeah. a nod. <laughs> Um, Alexander the Great before that had given him a bit of a nod. He's like, "Yeah, do what you want. Like it's crazy, but you know, you do you, you do you. I'm fine. Just stay out of my fucking way, and you can do you." Um, right. Ptolemy, the Ptolemies let them do their own thing. The uh, Seleucids, uh, all of Alexander's general, they they kind of let them. They're like, "You're weird, but as long as you don't get in our way, do your own thing. Just stay out of our way." Julius Caesar took the same view as did Augustus. Thibaut, right. Thibaut kicked a few of them out for some reason, as we've talked about on that series. Oh, yeah. It's kind of weird. We're not really sure what happened, but might have been them corrupting some rich women and that kind of stuff. But anyway, generally speaking, yeah. uh, the Romans turned a blind eye to them unless they revolted, which they did eventually, as as you know, in the great Jewish-Roman war and sort of 66 to 70. Um, and that's when it all went horribly wrong for them. Um, and then the Christians, uh, you know, took this this sense of exceptionalism and ran with it. Uh, now, when you run around saying I'm better than you and I've got the truth and you're all wrong and you're all evil because you're wrong, you're gonna piss people off. 
you know, that's I, yeah. I think there's some roots to anti-Semitism in that. You you know, you people are fucking uppity, and uh, yeah. you the know, guys don't exist. That's well, no, or I'm whatever. talking about the other way. Like the the, the polytheists oh, right. looked at the monotheists, particularly when the monotheists were really uppity about it, and said, "Well, you know, fuck you. you you're so arrogant um, with your my God is the only God kind of thing." From a Roman polytheist's or a Greek polytheist perspective, that was an incredibly arrogant and rude position to take. Um, mm-hmm. And then over the course of the next thousand years or so, Jews were uh, uh, maligned and they were pushed to the fringes of society. They, in lots of, lots of parts of Christianized uh, Europe, Jews were tolerated barely you know, after Theodosius wiped out all the rest of um, the the polytheistic religions and all the other non-Catholic forms of Christianity, to the best of his ability, uh, mm-hmm. he tolerated the Jews because of that loose connection between the Christians and the Jews. But they were limited uh. with what they could do. And eventually, over right. time, you know, they, they went through various persecutions um, because they'd killed Jesus. And then they, they weren't allowed to own certain kinds of land. They weren't allowed to be farmers in an agrarian society. That was a big deal. So eventually the Jews all became bankers and accountants and uh, you know business owners of, had a trade because right. they had to. They weren't allowed to you know have land Do and all that kind things. of stuff. Yeah. And of course, over time, those white-collar professions that they, that they got into ended up controlling a lot of wealth and a lot of power and then everyone hated them again because they had wealth and power that wasn't their fault I, you know that, that wasn't their doing they were forced into those sort of white collar roles yeah and they were good at it and they they taught their kids and their kids taught their kids and they passed it down through generations and they looked after their own as anyone would do and that's fine anyway yeah. anyway don't get me started let's move on we've got time let's go you got time i got time you got time you want to keep going i want to talk about Manafort. okay yeah. Manafort. As you know, Paul Manafort, uh, former chairman of uh, Donald Trump's uh, election campaign, was convicted uh, a few months ago on one count of failing to file a foreign bank account, two counts of bank fraud, and five counts Mm -hmm. of tax evasion. Now, we're not talking about, I forgot to claim... One of my children. Some PayPal donations <laughs> that he got. Um, right. A Kickstarter campaign. Right. We're talking about millions and millions and millions of dollars that he deliberately and knowingly hid in foreign bank accounts and lied about. Now, um, special counsel Robert Mueller's team recommended that Manafort get between 19 and 25 years in prison for his crimes. <sighs> And, of course, the U.S. justice system loves throwing the book at rich white guys, so they gave him the maximum possible sentence. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) He got less than four years, 47 months. And I just have to say real quick, so you mentioned those um, those charges. Ten other charges were dropped, and there are two more charges to which he did a plea deal. And like you said, he gave up millions of dollars, and he's going to be sentenced for those two additional charges sometime this week. But the point is, I mean, so if you look it up, and we're talking close to 20 charges here that they came at him, 47 months, nine months have already been served. 
Yeah. Now, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, uh, said the US justice system isn't blind, it's bought. She said this is a reminder of the blatant inequalities in our justice system that we all know about because they reoccur every week in courts across America. But uh, she must have been happy about one thing. I, I read that he arrived to hear his sentence in a green jail jumpsuit emblazoned Ooh, on the hated that. emblazoned on the back with the words Alexandria inmate. Uh, so she's she's like, yeah, baby, you're mine. I've got you. You're my bitch. Yeah. yeah. Now the U.S. Yeah. District Judge who sentenced him, T.S. Ellis, not to be confused with T.S. Eliot, said Manafort had committed serious, very serious crimes. But he also said mm-hmm. that Manafort had lived an otherwise blameless life and earned the admiration right? of many. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> so we've got him for at least five to seven charges. But other than that, he's lived a blameless life. A bla- I mean, a bla- seven charges is a lot. A blameless yeah. life, including uh, making millions and millions of dollars uh, as the lobbyist for a very long list of human rights abusing dictators including uh, Ferdinand Marcos in the Philippines and Mobutu Sese Siko of Zaire. In fact, his PR firm, his lobbyist firm, was so bad at representing human rights abusers that they were listed as one of the top five lobbying firms receiving money from human rights abusing (laughs) regimes in the Center for Public Integrity's report, The Torturer's Lobby. They called him. But, of course, Manafort was a very close friend of Ronald Reagan. He actually worked on Reagan's campaigns. And can you guess? Uh, Now, you're never going to guess, Ray. But just, just, I mean, I know that you're never going to guess. But but can you guess who appointed T.S. Ellis to be a judge? I want to go out on a limb. I don't know how long he's been in there. I'm going to guess a conservative a Republican, maybe Reagan. Ding, you got it. Wow. How did you yes. ever guess that? Total, a shot in the dark. Shot in the dark. Now, um, oh my God. Farmer Oscar sent me a link to tweets by Brooklyn public defender Scott Hetchinger um, in response mm-hmm. to Manafort's 47 months, uh, Hetchinger wrote, My client yesterday was offered 36 to 72 months in prison for stealing $100 worth of quarters from a residential laundry room. Oh, my God. I'm guessing he's not white. <laughs> I, I don't you, know. I, I that's don't know. Probably almost as good as your Reagan guess, yes. So <laughs> Manafort gets 47 months for stealing hundreds of millions of dollars. Okay, maybe not hundreds right. of millions, but tens of millions of dollars. I don't know exactly yes. how much he's supposed to have. He gave, up 40, he gave up like 45 million, something. There was some 40 number 40, of stuff he had to give up. $40 million. So he, 40 million. Yeah. He got 47 months for stealing $40 million. This guy was right. offered 72 months in prison for stealing $100. So what have we learned? I'm not finished yet. 
Uh, Heshinger, oh, okay. Heshinger went on. My colleague's client today was forced to plead out to the mandatory minimum of three and a half years, only five months less than Manafort, for simple possession of a firearm. No allegation of use. Prosecution right. wouldn't drop top count after a hearing. Best they had been willing to do was two years. Three years ago, in the court in which I work, a Brooklyn teenager was sentenced to 19 years for setting a mattress on fire that inadvertently... I did that. That inadvertently Sorry. led to the death of a responding officer for smoke inhalation. Manafort right. was sentenced to less than a woman who voted while on probation without knowing she wasn't allowed to. She was sentenced to five years. I remember that. In 2018, the same judge, T.S. Ellis, sentenced Frederick Turner, 37 years old, to a mandatory minimum of 40 years in prison for dealing methamphetamine. Now... The judge at the time said, I chafe a bit at that, but I follow the law. If I thought it was blatantly immoral, I'd have to resign. It's wrong, but not immoral. He's talking about the mandatory minimum of 40 years. Right. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. These lives are destroyed. So that's that's the justice system. Good to be rich in America, Ray, if you're ever in trouble. I know as a podcaster, you don't have to worry about that. Rolling in the cash, we are rolling a, in it. I am at a hundred air. I am hundred air now. Yeah. In yeah. Manafort has been in jail, I think, since June or July um, when he was first arrested. Now, apparently, the jail that he was in right. uh, was a bit of a VIP set up. Uh, he had a computer in his jail oh, nice. cell where he could log on to the internet. <laughs> Um, had his own private Shit. shower and bathroom and didn't have to wear a prison uniform. However... No, the man likes to look good. However, yes. the yes. new prison where he's going to be serving his less than four-year sentence in Maryland, Cumberland, um, right. in contrast to the first jail, which was called a VIP setup, this one has been called Club Fed. So you know... That it's far, far, well, right. s- slightly, maybe worse. No. Apparently, this jail doesn't, the cell doors don't have locks. Families can stay mm-hmm. over in for weekends in special rooms. And prisoners can make help. calls whenever they want. It's a minimum security institution described as more of a college setting than a prison. Um Larry Levine, who is director and founder of Wall Street Prison Consultants, which is the funniest sounding company I've ever heard of, says it's kind of like a junior college setting. I don't want to call it a stress-free environment, but it's a lot of hanging out with the other inmates, you know, just bullshitting. Yeah. Um, he apparently, <laughs> so what are you in for? Apparently yeah. his firm, Wall Street Prison Consultants, advises Wall Street clients uh, what to look forward to before they go to jail. So if you're going to jail, wow. you meet with Larry. Larry's like, look, this is what's right. going to happen. You know, that's right. here's the ins, here's the outs. Uh, you know, here's what to do. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, at this uh, club-fed prison in Maryland, inmates are free to leave the premises whenever they choose to do jobs in the yard. There's a gym. There's a softball field with a running track. There are televisions showing sport on every wing. Inmates can enroll in classes including music, business, and educational programs. And, uh, yeah, the families get to come and stay in these uh, little outhouses with cosy double beds on weekends for visits. Now, listen, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm actually thinking that's what prison should be like. Right. I'm, no, I'm serious. Look, I, I, okay. I, I'm not one of these people who thinks prisons should be hellholes on earth. Right. You know, I, okay. I don't. I don't believe in retribution uh, for crimes. I think prisons should be livable. I think people should have opportunities to better themselves in prison. Mm-hmm. You're being denied freedom. You're not being. Well, you shouldn't be uh, being, you know, subjected to some form of right. torture in prison. You're being denied the freedom to go about your life and that's, spend every day with your family yeah. and that kind of thing. You know, it, that's it, a punishment. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it should be uh, uh, thrown in the hole. But anyway. Um, I, I, I make a prediction, though, regarding Manafort. I reckon within a year he'll be released, even from Club Fed, on some kind of house arrest right. or some other cosy arrangement due to health concerns. Um, yeah. You know, all those, Russian, all those Russian millions have got to buy you something, Ray. That's, what's the point of being rich? Well, now, as far as I can, as far as I remember, these charges are federal, as in Trump can pardon him. Or is this the Southern District of New York? I honestly can't remember. Yeah, I don't know. Don't remember. Okay. Don't I guess remember. we'll find out. All uh, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, last story I wanted to touch on. Well, a couple of stories here quickly. Um, what, how are we doing for time? What's the time? Hour 25. Jesus fucking Christ. All right. Elizabeth Warren um, has called for breaking up Silicon Valley's largest companies if she gets elected president, says they've gained too much power over our economy, our society, and our democracy. To restore the balance of power in our democracy, to promote competition, and to ensure that the next generation of technology innovation is as vibrant as the last, it's time to break up our biggest tech companies, including Facebook, Google, and Amazon. What do you you think about that, Ray? I honestly don't know. I mean... Obviously, they have our data. Obviously, they sell our data. They use our our data to try to manipulate us to get us to buy things. I get all that, and maybe they do have too much power. But now that these now that these entities exist, can you? Is it is it realistic to say that you can break them up, to tame them, to heal them, to make them s- smaller or whatever? I just don't know even know if it's feasible at this point. But then again, what I know about technology. Uh, is not very impressive. So is it even fe- feasible at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally feasible. I mean, obviously, this was done with AT&T back in the day. Um, antitrust, uh, when it happened to Standard Oil, if we go back into the early 20th century, when Teddy Roosevelt right. um, was the first trust That was buster. Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, Teddy. Everybody was, af- everybody was afraid of him. But And you should be. The guy got shot in the battle. chest... While he was giving a speech, and he kept giving the speech. <laughs> and he rode a moose. Now, I know that photo's fake, but I'm choosing to believe it. If Christians can believe in Jesus, I can believe that Teddy Roosevelt right. rode a moose through a river. A <laughs> um, but, but the money that... <laughs> 
but the money that they have, they they would I would imagine these various companies would have the propaganda war alone, but they have the money to tie this up in courts and to and to buy congressmen. I just have a hard time seeing it passing, even if it was feasible to do it. Well, I was working good at, for her for saying I was working yeah, at Microsoft in the late nineties, early two thousands, when Microsoft was uh, taken uh, to court for oh, antitrust. Yeah violations by the United States Department of Justice. And um, at the time, I thought it was a bad thing because I worked for Microsoft. Um, Sure. And and Microsoft did not have uh, much of a history at the time of lobbying the US government, uh, getting politicians on their side. They changed track fairly fucking quickly after that, I tell you. Uh, (laughs) They woke up to that all of a sudden. But... um, Yeah, I'm pretty sure, well, I know for a fact that that Google and Facebook uh, do a much better job, spend a lot more money, and Amazon, I assume, as well. Amazon also, obviously, well, Bezos controls one of the biggest newspapers in the country now as well. Um, But let's let's break down uh, Warren's thinking here. So she says, uh, we need to stop this generation of big tech companies from throwing around their political power to shape the rules in their favour and throwing around their economic power to snuff out or buy up every potential competitor. Now, NetChoice, which is a trade association that represents big tech companies, blasted Warren's hipster views on antitrust (laughs) and argued the internet economy is not lacking in competition. And I was thinking, really? Who who is the competitor (laughs) to Facebook, really? Yeah. Uh, who is the competitor to Amazon? Who is even close mm-hmm. in size and scope to those two right. companies? Who's the competitor to Google? Duck, duck, go? Um, Bing? <laughs> like, Google gets right. 98% of all internet search traffic. In fact, these three companies alone, Facebook, Amazon, and Google, more than 70% of all internet traffic goes through sites owned or operated by Google or Facebook. Nearly half of all wow. e-commerce goes through Amazon. So she's right. These companies are yeah. insanely no. powerful. Yes. Right. Now, um, Warren actually mentions in this article she wrote on medium.com, she mentions the Microsoft case. And she says the government's antitrust case against Microsoft helped clear a path for internet companies like Google and Facebook to emerge. And she's right. So Mm. what was happening with Microsoft back in the day? The reason Microsoft got involved in an antitrust case is in the late 90s, um, when Bill Gates woke up to the fact that the internet was going to be a big thing, um, he started bundling internet software, TCP, IP, uh, and uh, web browser into the operating system. So we were giving away okay. our web browser, Internet Explorer, for free. Whereas right. the major competitor at the time, Netscape, was selling their product, Netscape Navigator. I think it was like 30 bucks to buy a copy of Navigator because mm-hmm. uh, that was their source of revenue. That's how they were trying to make money. Microsoft was like, well... We're making so much fucking money out of Windows and Microsoft Office that we can afford to give it away for free. And it was a deliberate strategy uh, to crush Navigator exactly. and, right. and, and the other competitors. 
because it was right. what we would refer to as sucking the oxygen out of the room, right? You you give away you give away a product for free. Um, people who are relying on getting paid for that will go out of business or, or weaken to the point where you can buy them and crush them. But there's the big uh. difference here between Microsoft back then and uh, Facebook and Google and Amazon today, and I want to touch on that a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, micro, one, one common thing that they do have, though, is Microsoft would buy companies that they perceive to be startups, which is what all rich companies do when they face competition from startups. Yeah. You either crush them by giving your product away for free or, or making it cheaper because you can afford to uh, 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 have a loss leader. Cost. Yeah. Right. Or you tie them up in legal proceedings that might even be completely spurious, but you know you know you can wait it out better than they can. Or the final right. resort is often you buy the company, you buy the startup, and then crush it from the inside. You you buy it going, oh, we love you guys, we love what you're doing, you're fantastic, we want to give you more resources, more access, more technology, and you buy them, and then you basically over the next year or two crush it. Um, until all the all wow. the best people leave, and um, you just go, oh well, they've all left now. We might as well kill it. Now that's similar yeah. to what Google and Facebook uh, and Amazon have a history of doing as well. Now Amazon also crushes small companies by copying the goods that they sell on Amazon Marketplace and selling their own branded version. They have their own. Amazon uh-huh. brand now called Amazon Basics, a bit like home brand stuff, where you can buy a whole bunch of uh, generic uh, technology products mm-hmm. that uh, small companies used to sell on Amazon's marketplace. Now Amazon just get their own made in China and sell their own cheaper. Okay, oh, yeah, um, putting putting their own customer, well, their own partners, I guess, their own retail partners out of business. Google allegedly snuffed out a competing small search engine by demoting its content on its own search algorithm. Um, It allegedly favors its own restaurant rating system over Yelp. A lot of these sorts of issues that these companies are facing. Now, Warren wants to classify companies like Google and Amazon and Facebook as platform providers if they're over $25 billion in revenue, they're classified as platform providers and then ban them from selling their own products and services on top of that platform. Ah, okay. So they'd split have to... Up. Yeah, they'd have to split off uh, advertising off their platform. They'd have to you know, split that off into a separate entity. Um, so other advertising uh, providers would be able to compete on their platform. She also says Google would have to split off search now, I don't know what she thinks Google's actual platform is if you split off search, because I think search is the platform. Maybe it's just the index that they've got, and you get right. to search that index. I'm not exactly sure what she's thinking there. But the big difference here that I wanted to make between these companies, particularly Google and Facebook and Microsoft 19 years ago, is that Microsoft's antitrust issue was that it was go the, the sorry the issue the DOJ had regarding Microsoft that, that put it in the antitrust camp was that in particular I mean there were others but the main one was the internet thing I think it was Netscape that actually raised the whole uh, antitrust issue in the first place because because of Microsoft's powerful platform Windows it was able to mm. prevent other internet companies from having a fair go of getting their software onto Windows. Um, right, but 
they were doing that by giving it away. There was also some back-end technology stuff where Microsoft was accused of making it easier for their own products to access the internet, faster, better performance, um, backdoor entry into the operating system and all this kind of stuff. Nice. But they Microsoft wasn't making money out of the internet stuff. They were giving it away, as I said. They were making money on the traditional products. The difference is that Google and Facebook give away their main platform for free. Their, they, their business model is inverse, right? They give away mm-hmm. that, and they make money by selling advertising and other services on their platforms. By the way, Warren also wants to prevent them from selling access to user data to third parties as well, which is another major way right. they make money. So they wouldn't be able to make money the way that they make money today. She also says Amazon wouldn't be able to sell their own products like Amazon Basics or Zappos Shoes or Whole Foods on their platform. So what they would replace that revenue with, I'm not exactly sure, but they're smart kids and they, I'm sure they'll work it out. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that, anyway, that's uh, what Elizabeth Warren is suggesting. Um I think it's an interesting idea, you know. I've and I've been very critical for many years now of Silicon Valley for the fact that we don't have a Facebook competitor, we don't have a Google competitor. Like, right? Silicon Valley yeah. is supposed to be this place of amazing innovation with the best minds and all the money, and we're you know it's pushing innovation. Yeah. So where are the fucking innovators? Where where are the people that are building the new social networks that are better and more trustworthy than Facebook. Where are the people that are building the new Googles? They don't they don't exist because Silicon Valley's got too much invested in Google and Facebook uh, and Amazon right. to uh, compete with them seriously. And maybe they think they can't compete with them seriously now. Maybe they think, well it's not a good investment. We're never gonna we're never going to catch up to these guys. They're too big. They're too powerful. Which, in again, is evidence that something needs to be done about it. So I'm a supporter of Elizabeth Warren's idea here. I hope it gets picked up by the other uh, leading Democratic candidates. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, because if they don't, um, then obviously these companies can donate to some of her opponents, try to get them, you know, help them get the nomination, and then her idea dies. But... I, I don't know. The uh, the American attitude right now for the Democrats is very – well, not very, but it's certainly left-leaning from what we normally are. So I think an idea like this will catch on and some of the other Democratic candidates will pick up on it um, right up there with health care for everybody. So I, I think she started something and we'll just see how, how long it takes before it spreads to other candidates. The humorous thing is going to be watch how Google and Facebook and Amazon – Try, they, they're going to have to bring in Barry and Stan for this because they're going to try and position this as oh, yeah. wrong, fundamentally oh, yeah. wrong, and yet, and yet yeah. they have been the biggest uh, people arguing for net neutrality over the last 10 years. <laughs> the telcos, we our way. The telcos yeah. were arguing, hey, we built the internet backbone. We should be able to determine what services get access to how much bandwidth, and we should be able to charge both the consumer and the service provider for their access to our pipes, access to our internet. And Google and Amazon and Facebook went, no, the internet should be free and open. You can't do that. Yeah. That's fundamentally wrong. They fought against net They lost in the end when Trump got in. Um, but they fought right. vociferously against the the ability of these uh, backbone providers to limit access to the internet. 
Which, by the way, I don't think anything no. really, really bad has been shown to happen since the Trump administration enabled that. So mm-hmm. it's in- interesting to drill yeah. into what's going on there. But now they're going to have to flip their argument 180 and go, no, we build our infrastructure. We should be able to do with it whatever we want. You have no right to touch our backbone platform. Right. You watch how they fucking flip. They're going to flip the lid on this, man. They're going to flip. Barry and Stan can do it. Oh, they're going to they flip it. They're going to, they're going to start saying, Jesus wanted it to be this way. You watch it. If Jesus was here, what he, he would, yeah, he'd be a hippie wearing sandals. He would be in on the internet and he would agree with us. Like the last story I wanted to talk about. Just quickly, Chelsea Manning, formerly known as Bradley mm-hmm. Manning, uh, has been jailed again for refusing to testify in grand jury proceedings against Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. Um, now, uh, for those of you who don't recall, Chelsea Manning, when he was Bradley Manning, uh, leaked the uh, a bunch of classified information uh, to WikiLeaks, including mm-hmm. the famous video of an American helicopter shooting Iraqi civilians and laughing about it. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, for that. Chelsea Manning uh, spent seven years in jail. I think she was sentenced to 25. Uh, 35. 35. Fucking hell. Was was served seven, and it was pretty brutal. It wasn't like a Paul Manafort cozy jail either. It was pretty (laughs) brutal. Um, uh, Spent this time in jail during the presidency of supposed lefty Barack Obama, who was going to protect whistleblowers, he said, during his first election campaign, then let Chelsea Manning rot in jail for seven years. Obama did uh, show clemency and release Chelsea towards the end of his uh, second term. But now she's been thrown in jail again, held in contempt of court uh, for refusing to testify in the grand jury proceedings. Now, Chelsea said that she will accept whatever judgment you bring upon me and said that she was refusing to testify because she objects to the secrecy of the grand jury process and has already revealed everything she knew at her court-martial. Judges said she'll remain jailed until she either testifies or until the grand jury concludes its work. Now, I don't know if you can say this, in the current Me Too slash politically correct climate uh, of a trans person, yeah. but I think she has balls of steel. I'm not exactly sure if she has balls, but whether or not she has balls... Uh, right. Uh, if she did... She has she metaphorical yeah. steel. balls of yeah. steel, willingly going back to jail on principle because she refused to testify in a secret kangaroo court proceedings. Now, I also want to point out, by the way, that this WikiLeaks investigation has got nothing to do with the Trump-Russia hearings. It's completely Ah, separate, apparently. Of course, because Bradley Manning, or sorry, Chelsea Manning, has nothing to do with that. So she was in jail when all that was going on. So, um, yeah, this is a separate, secret hearing into WikiLeaks right. that's going on in the uh, free and fair and open uh, justice system of the United States. So, so they're out to get Julian Assange. That's just what it comes down to. So that's they're out to get him. The U.S. government or whatever. Yeah. Pretty much. Now, the funny okay. thing is, 
the people, the, the 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 crazies on the left, your crazy Democrats over there, have got themselves convinced that Assange is uh, in league with the Trumps. Uh, as you know, uh, what? because he oh, was right, 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 right. Because he deliberately and willfully helped Trump win the election by deliberately and willfully releasing Hillary Clinton's uh, and and Podesta's emails that he deliberately and knowingly received from Russian hackers, and that he was in league with the Trumps, and yet. Uh, the Trump administration is running this uh, secret uh, hearings trying to get him. So how they put that together in their head fucking beats me. It's a bit like uh, the guy on Facebook who's trying to argue that Isaiah 53, the Old Testament chapter written 700 BCE, thereabouts, it was predicting Jesus. Uh, Even though Isaiah 53 speaks in past tense, and according to all Jewish scholars in the last two and a half thousand years is talking about the uh, treatment of Israel by the uh, other kings of the Middle East. I'm going, so hold on, you're trying to tell me that he, he was writing about a guy who wouldn't appear for 800 years, but he's writing about it in past tense, and that makes sense to you? <laughs> anyway, fucking mental That's deep. hurdles people need to jump through. That's all of the stories I wanted to talk about today. Ray, you threw one in here about an anti-vaxxer kid. Did you want to cover that briefly? Yeah, I'll cover that real quick. And just and just before we before we do that, I just want to let you know if you want to send me a Bible for me to get Trump to sign, I would be happy to do that for you because yeah, we're good that'd friends. Be right. So yeah, good work. Thanks. All right. Okay. Yeah. I I just found this interesting, and I'll make it really quick. So there's this young man, Ethan Lindenberger, lives in Ohio, who recently turned 18. Now, during his 18 years of life, he's never been vaccinated for things like measles, mumps, rubella, chickenpox, polio. Why? Because his parents believe that immunizations can be harmful to children and may even cause brain damage. And this has been in the news. We've all we've all seen this. Now, as he was getting closer to be turning 18, um, his mom would put anti-vax posts on Facebook and she was getting a lot of criticism. So he's reading that. So he's thinking, well, maybe I should do my own research because these people probably wouldn't be calling my mom crazy um, if, you know, if we all agreed that these things are good or bad. So. What does uh, this young man do who is social media savvy? He's a teen. He turns to Reddit. So he posts on Reddit, and the title of his post is, My parents are kind of stupid and don't believe in vaccinations. Now that I'm 18, where do I go to get vaccinated? Can I get vaccinated my age? So basically he's like, where do I go? How much does it cost? I'm pretty much on my own about this. So he gathers his information. And he takes it to his parents and he goes, look, I just want to let you know because I respect you. And he's probably still living at home. I'm going to get vaccinated. His mother completely flips and she was interviewed by a magazine. And she said it was like he was spitting on me. It was like saying, you don't know anything. I don't trust you with anything. You don't know what you're talking about. You did a bad decision by not letting me get vaccinated and I'm going to fix it. So his dad was a little more calm. He's like, well, you're 18 now and you get to decide for yourself. I don't agree with it, but I accept what you're what you're going to do. So so he goes on and gets the um, the vaccination. And what made it interesting was at the time that he did this, uh, we're uh, talking early 2019, the United States has already had five um, um, outbreaks of measles in the country. So it was probably good that he did this because he could have got the measles. That would have been bad. And so I started drilling down into this and I'm like, okay, so what is the official position? Are vaccines good? Are they bad? Are they kind of good? Are they bad at some times? So I go to the CDC website and they pretty much break it down like this. And, and it did give it a very 
interesting spin on, on this entire question. So they say, when a disease is common and can have serious uh, let me try that. When a disease is common and can have serious consequences, the public generally finds that the benefits of a vaccine that can prevent it outweigh the relative low risk of a severe side effect. But as the incidence of a disease declines, risks from vaccination, which main which remain relatively constant, can appear more prominent. So be, so in some ways, these vaccines are victims of their own success. We've wiped out these things. We've, we've, you know, we've really worked on measles, mumps, rubella, chickenpox, polio. But because we've done such a good job, the medicines have done such a good job, people don't think of them and fear them, you know, like a couple hundred years ago. And so now people are actually starting to think, well, just because I may have a side effect, I shouldn't get this. But of course, the other side is that they might very well get one of these diseases that can kill them. So again, it's just one of those things where we've done such a good job of wiping something out. People don't see it as the threat that it is. And so everybody's perspective changes. And so when I read that from their website, I thought that was a very, very um, interesting way of looking at it. And it helped me understand how some of these parents can go, no, I'm not going to do this. But, and even though each state is different, this kid looked up the laws, he looked up the costs, he looked up the locations, and he handled it himself. And uh, I wonder if more kids in the future will see this and maybe decide to take a, a similar route. So um, what's the uh, bullshit filter position on this, Ray? This is just one of those things where science says this, the vast majority of us have these vaccinations, the vast majority of, the, of us do not have serious side effects, brain damage, but you bring in, I don't know, you, you bring in emotion, you bring in a celebrity mom saying my kid got autism from this. And because maybe it's a celebrity or because it's emotional or we get to see pictures of the child suffering from the from or being autistic that suddenly people quit thinking and they feel and it's just one of these things where either because of the celebrity people don't use science or people don't believe in the science they go with emotion or they go with something else and again the bullshit fact the bullshit factor in this is just that there are things that we can prove that are, are pretty much right all the time, like um, climate change, but you bring in other factors and people quit thinking, they make decisions for themselves, and people are going to suffer for those kinds of decisions. The consequences are going to be a lot worse than what they think they're going to be. Yeah, we've been talking for a long time about uh, doing a series on the anti-vax uh, movement, on the bullshit filter. Mm. So along with Israel, it's something we will get around to, I guess, hopefully this yeah. year. Hmm. All right. Uh, well, that's been a fucking long show, people. But uh, there you go. It's nearly two hours of bullshit filler for this week. Um, we're sorry. Not really. Um, no. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Uh, be good to each other. Have a good week. And uh, let's go out with more of this guy. I'm an investigator. His name was Derek. Came back to me saying he found you. In a three-story townhouse with a new fella, you bought a nice five-grand motor. I couldn't believe it that you were living in a three-story townhouse with another fella. Couldn't believe that you would run away and leave me heartbroken. Spend my money with another fella. Sell my car for another car. Just so you wouldn't have to remember what you did to me. I just hope that deep down you still love me. 
and make you feel horrible for what you did. Cause I thought we were gonna be forever and ever, but clearly that wasn't the case.